Welcome to the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today we have a superstar, Mr. Aaron Madrillo. Man, thank you so much for uh, coming by and, and spending a couple of days with us here at the event. Dude, I would never miss the opportunity to hang out with you. Awesome. The, the last time we hung out was a mobile home boot camp. <laughs> no, multi-family. It's a a multi-family, multifamily boot camp, multifamily right? Boot yeah. camp. It was, I, that was actually pretty good. It was good. I had it was a good time. Very good boot camp. Lots, um, of, lots of mindset stuff. Yeah, that's why I like uh, Rock Cleef so much. Um, All about mindset. Because he com- combines the, the multifamily you know, teachings with personal development. And not a lot of people do that. They just focus on the content, 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 but they're not helping that person grow. So when I went to his event where I met you, I was blown away. And, and now I know where it comes from. So he used to be with Tony Robbins. Mm, I uh, didn't know that. Yes, exactly. So I found out later on. And it's not access to the information that slows people down. It's themselves that slows people down. A hundred percent. So I totally got why he was doing all the mindset stuff. Yeah, it, we, it made a hundred percent, like it was completely... Uh, understandable why he went that route with his program. And it's relatable. Yeah. Right? So, uh, so anyhow, this is not about Rod. Yep. Shout out to Rod. But this is more about you, man. Where, where do you come from? Originally, I'm from Western Massachusetts. Western Massachusetts. Like the mountains, hillbilly town. Flannel okay. shirts, husky people. Yeah. Wow. How yeah. do you end up in South California? Boot camp. I went to, I signed up, so I wanted to escape. From where I was from okay and I wasn't a very good student in high school so I I knew I didn't have a lot of opportunities I didn't have a lot of money behind me so there was no way I was paying my way through a school or anything like that right and I have I'm from a military family so I, I went to visit my brother out in Chicago who was in the military at the time and I saw what he was doing and I was like that's a good option so I went back and signed up and I I signed up on the agreement that they send me as far from there as possible. And he said, well, I can send you to San Diego to boot camp. And I'm like, and I'd never been to California. What branch is this? Navy. Navy, okay. Yeah, they don't have a boot camp there anymore. It's not in Chicago. Right. But he said, yeah, I can send you to San Diego to boot camp. I'm like, you put that in writing and I'm, I'm good. I'll sign up. So they did. They were the only ones that would guarantee anything in writing. So I talked to the Marines. No, the Army, no, no guarantees at that time. I mean, things may have changed. Right. So he said, yeah, we'll send you to San Diego. He's like, you can be there for two years, go to school, stay right in San Diego. And I got out to San Diego and I was doing push-ups and looking at the palm trees and I was just smiling. I was so happy. <laughs> it was wow. so nice. Yeah, it was, I fell in love with, with How the old were you when you, when you uh, got in the Navy? I signed up on my 18th birthday. So you just fresh, yeah, that fresh was, teenager. Well, I was still in high school. So I was in my senior year of high school because okay. my birthday's in December. So I, you know, just a couple of months into my senior year, but I, I knew that that's what I was going to do. I had to get away from the environment that I was in. How long were you in the Navy for? Six years. Wow. So yeah. you did six years. Six so years. you got out of there when you were 25. 24. 24. 24. Yeah. And what do you do in the Navy? I was a, I signed up as a sonar technician, meaning we hunted for subs. Right. But I, I am addicted to not hardcore exercise, like I'm never running a marathon or an ultra, none of that, but I like to work out. I like yeah. to do things, right? So I was outside the executive officer stateroom, we we're underway and it was like midnight or something. And I was on the, on the bike, stationary bike, right? Can't lift right. weights underway because the ship's rolling, it doesn't work, yeah. right? But I was on the stationary bike 
and, and I'm there every night because you have set watches. You have a, a set schedule when you're out at sea. You're either, I think we were always 12 on, 12 off. So you work for 12 hours, you're off for 12 hours. What kind of ship was this? Uh, this was on a frigate, so okay, a, a smaller, yeah, smaller ship. Yeah, yeah, FFG. It's not, it's not that small. For a Navy ship. It is small, but it's not For a Navy ship, it's, it's, it's kind of small. You don't know small. There's only, <laughs> there's only 200 people. So on a Navy ship, like a, a, a military ship, yeah. It's on the smaller side. I wasn't a minesweeper. Yeah, those are extremely small. Exactly, that's very small. Yeah, those so. are those are really small. I'll give that to you. Yeah, yeah you got that one. Yeah, yeah those are really small. You so, have to pull in to eat, right? Because you don't have a galley. Yeah. yeah. No, we had a galley, but uh, but it's seventy nine people, dude. Like uh, you, yeah, you, that's small. you linger in between seventy and eighty five the most, but you wear multiple hats. So because yeah. uh, it, it, there's no life on one of those ships. Uh, it's, I, I 100% would expect that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's horrible, dude. And that was my first duty. I, I would I, equate I, to being on the ship that I was on. I, I, I looked at that as a floating prison. It, it was. Yeah, it was a floating prison. Uh, they are, dude. I remember. Uh, so we had duty every three days. So did we the entire time. Horrible. Oh. You're always exhausted. You're always exhausted. Yeah. You, because, let me break that down for your listeners. Yeah. You're working. For 24 hours, yeah. and you probably have to be up at some point in the middle of the night during yeah. that 24-hour shift. To do a watch. Then the next day was your day after having a 24-hour work period, and then the next day you have to work for 24 hours, so you have to rest to prepare for that. It never ends. It's never completely ends. exhausting, and yeah. I did that for two years. Wow, no, I did that for four years. That's unbelievable. And when I got out of that boat, man, I, I just... Well, thank you for your service. Oh, thank that you, is too. unbelievable. You see, I didn't know that about you, yeah. that you were in the Navy. Six years, yeah. Wow, so I was four. Uh, I only did four and got out, and um, I learned a lot of good things. Mm. I learned that there was a lot of politics in the military that they, I didn't want to be a part of. Tons of politics. Uh, tons of politics, uh, and that's what led me to the oil field. But anyhow, so you did Re six really years. Really quick, so let me finish what I was talking yeah. about. I was riding the bike, and the XO... As always, they storm out of their stateroom because they're always in trouble with the CO, right? The executive officer right. second in command. And the captain is always riding them. And he stops this time and he comes back and he's just like, you're out here every day. And I was like, well, we're underway, sir. You know, I want to stay in shape. He's like, we have an opening for a rescue swimmer. Do you want to go? Wow. And, and my friend was the rescue swimmer on the ship. There's two on every ship. And I was just like, yeah, I would love to have that opportunity. So they flew me to Coronado Island in San Diego and I trained and then from then on out, I was, my rate was still sonar tech, but I spent very little time in sonar and I was basically working as a rescue swimmer. So you were a SAR, a SAR swimmer? SAR, correct, yeah. Okay, and? But not on helicopters like you see in the Kevin Costner movie. I was shipborne, so I was on the ship and my job was if planes or helicopters went down, then I would be on call to go do that. Luckily, I never had that happen. I was only used, uh, we were, I was stationed out of Japan, so Filipino boat people so going between islands. So let's take you back real quick. Yeah. So you became a SAR swimmer. Yeah. And then you got reassigned? No, I just was still on the ship as a sonar technician. Same ship. But when we were underway, I was, a, like, every yeah. time they call flight quarters, which on a frigate is the, the entire time. time. Yeah. I would have to go up and be a part of flight quarters. So right. that was the end of me working in sonar. Right. Okay. Yeah. Good deal, man. So Super fun. And, and you guys, you were stationed in Japan, you said? Like Japan they moved for the four ship years. I, no, I, I flew to Japan. I was stationed there. For, I volunteered to go over there, so I was there for four years. Did you learn any Japanese while you were there? I learned enough to pick up girls in bars. That's, that's about it. It man. was that's pretty good. 
is a survival yeah. skill, right? Yeah, and then and then I got out and I stayed in Japan, and they I got a job. I was working in a Japanese bar, and I had my notebook on the counter of my words that I was trying to memorize. And somebody came in, a woman came in, and she saw it, and she was laughing. She was looking at it laughing, and I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, man. And she asked the other, the Japanese bartenders, like, who is this? Whose is this? And he's like, oh, the gaijin, the foreigner over there, right? So she calls, she's like, hey, are you learning Japanese? And I'm like, I'm trying. She's like, are you good at it? I'm like, no, not really, you know. And she's like, perfect. She's like, you want another job? I was like, yeah, doing what? She's like, we pay $50 an hour if you want to go work shogakse, which are elementary school children, teaching English and we don't want people to speak Japanese because they don't speak any English. Right. So I took that job and it was fantastic. Wow. Yeah. So, so I was teaching little kids English. So when you got out of the Navy, why did you get out of the Navy? It just wasn't for me. Right. Yeah. I, I, I felt like I had done all I was going to do there. Yep. And I, it was time to move on. Got it. And what didn't you like about the Navy? Not that we're, we're take you know kicking the navy here we both were in the navy i can tell you many reasons why i like the navy yeah but i can tell no, you it's totally uh, understandable uh, yeah there's lots of brainwashing that goes on in the military yeah and they have 200 years of of expertise at this yeah and they retire you at 40 because when you hit that age it's not that you've used up you're 40. it's just that they know they're not going to be able to get you to do the things they need you to they do can't. anymore and you're exhausted because now them. you're you're you are more you have more awareness of, of self-preservation when you start to get into your later 30s right. and your 40s. You start thinking more about, I don't want to do that. That's a little risky. But when you're 18, you'll run out in a hail of bullets and like, ah, right. you know, <laughs> right? So it's a different story. And, and it, I just felt like I had done all I wanted to do and it was time to move on. I didn't go in with the career mindset. I went in because I just wanted to escape where I was from and have a change of scenery. And I was also extremely uh, unfocused I, I didn't have any direction. I had no discipline. So that's kind Before of the stuff. The Navy. Oh, yeah. 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 I was a like a free-range child. Same thing with me. Now, I did go in the Navy wanting to do a career. But I just didn't know what I didn't know. So mm -hmm. when I get there and I find out that, eh, sometimes you don't get recognized for what you did. They give it to somebody else. You know, uh, you don't fit in in the group. Uh, you know, whatever. I was like, I can't do 20 years of this. Yeah. I can work hard. And I will continue to work hard, but your morale goes, goes down when certain things don't take place. And I figure that if I'm going to go and put in all this work that I'm putting in right now, I mean, on, on the, on the Minesweeper, might as well do it outside for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's when I make the shift. So, interesting. So, before you got out of the Navy, what sort of preparation do you do to, like, get out of the Navy and go, like, either find a job? What, how was that transition? So, I, I was... I, while I was in the military, I was moonlighting at MWR, Morale, Welfare, and Recreation, right. which is the entertainment side of the bases, right? right. So I started moonlighting at, uh, for a while I was driving cabs on base in Japan, and then I started moonlighting and I was working at the nightclub. So I was, at first they started working the door, and then they moved me up to bartender, and then I got a job as a DJ in the nightclub, and I was doing that for a while. But I was making more money as a bartender because I was getting tips. Right. And the 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 nightclub on the base in Yokosuka at that time was the largest MWR nightclub in the world. So it was massive. So you could make quite a bit of money in tips. So I was banking my, my military pay. I was banking my hourly pay for being an employee of MWR. No, I, was, I quit the cab and I was working just straight for MWR. Yeah. 
So I was banking my hourly pay for the MWR and I was living just off the tips and I don't think there was ever a night, and this is in the early 90s, there was never a day where I didn't make at least $100 in tips. Wow. So I was just living off tips. So you put your money away. And then one night this guy comes in that I had, he was in charge of me in a work center and uh, I had transferred to another ship in Japan. Right. Cause I was there for four years. He came in and said, Hey, uh, I got a house out in town. I'm being transferred back to the States. Do you want it? And I was just like, I was ready to get out and I didn't really have a plan. I just knew I'm done with this. I'll probably just go to college. So I was like, I talked to my buddy who was on the same ship as me also bartending. And I said, and we were both getting out and I said, Hey, this guy's got a house out in town. Do you want to go rent this house and just stay in Japan? He's like, yeah, let's do it. So I'm like, yeah, we'll take the house. So he just slid the coupon book across the, the bar. And he's like, here, just pay a thousand dollars a month to the, into this bank account. The, the landlord won't care. And just it's your house. You know, I'm, I'm out of here. And that was it. So I flew back to the States. They processed me out. I was, I was still in, I got out early. I used my leave, the vacation time that you save up. So you're yeah. allowed to get out of the Navy early. Uh, so I got out about two weeks early and I flew back on a military flight to Japan and uh, I just lived in that house and kept working in Japan for about a year. Oh, wow. It was super fun. Yeah, what, do you do, what do you do that year? I was bartending, I was teaching English, and then I started working as a DJ in Tokyo. Okay. So, and uh, why do you go back to the U.S.? Or The one thing about being a minority in a foreign country and being an American in Japan, you're a minority or whatever you want to call that, a, an expatriate. Yeah. I, I, I realized I would never be able to achieve my full potential working in such a, a closed environment. It was either I was going to be stuck in hospitality or service, not ever going to be a business owner. Got it. So, and I had the GI bill behind me still. And I was just like, I had a girlfriend at the time and, I, and she's my wife now. We've been married like 22 years. Wow. Yeah, and, I, and I was like, look, you know, I'm having a blast, but I think I need to go do something with my life. Like, this is super fun. We're having a great time hanging out. We're going to a lot of parties in Tokyo. Where do you meet your wife? I, I met her in Japan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, was so. she in the military as well? No, she's Japanese. I met her about a month before oh. I got out of the Navy. So I, I came back here. I processed out. I went back. I had a house. So she'd come and hang out with me all the time. And so we stayed together a year. And then I decided to move to Thailand, which is crazy. But I was working as a DJ in Tokyo and I had some mild success. And there were some pretty famous events in Thailand. So I decided to go there. We, what year is this? 90, late 96, early 97. That's when you got out of the Navy. Not, I got out July, June 24th or 5th of 96. Okay. Yeah. I got in in 2001, so it was way, way after you got out. <laughs> Yeah, I got out in 2005, actually, yeah. so not long ago. But you think about it, it's uh, almost 20 years ago when I got in, 2001, 21 years ago. Yeah. So I could have been retiring right now, basically, if I would have stayed in the 20 years. I'm so yeah, glad I but Yeah, but, the, yeah, you, there's the, always the opportunity cost, right? It's the opportunity cost. In everything. I mean, sitting here, there's an opportunity yeah. cost. And doing this, what are we giving up? What, what's the So there's always an opportunity cost. And... To do that for that for that pension, the, the opportunity cost is way, in my opinion, is way too big. Well, and you and you're right. I just didn't know any better, hmm. right? So when I joined the Navy, I joined for you know a paycheck and basically insurance for my daughter, hmm. and so I could get my life together, right? 
and yes, I know that they were rich people out there. I just didn't know how to get there. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize, hey, if you do certain things, you can actually become a multimillionaire or whatnot. To me, I just wanted stability. That was it. And I found that in the military. You can be stable. Hmm. You know, they groom you for that. Yes. They brainwash the hell out of that for, for that. Yes. That way you never get out. Punctuality, consistency, which are great characteristics. Of course. Uh, and those are things that I carried on with my military background now. But I realized at some point that it was a prison for me because I'm a free soul. I, I like to do things when I want to, make my own decisions. Um, and once I started dealing with the politics inside of the Navy, that's when I said, oh, yeah, this is not for me. I got to get out because I'll, I'll never accomplish what I want to accomplish. I, I literally wanted to go up in rank. Like, mm. to me, recognition was more important than money. And the rank gave you that. But when they shut you down on going up in rank because they're hooking somebody else up, you're like, oh, wait a minute. That I don't agree with. Yeah. Right? So I had a lot of the same issues. Yeah, so that's why I got out, right? Yeah. And, and, but I, I do believe that everyone should, at some point in their life, go through the military. I 100% agree with that statement. Like, like, <laughs> that's probably terrifying to some people, but... Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Like, statement. you know what? You yeah. turn 18 years old, like they do yeah. in Singapore. You're 18? Israel, yeah, lots of countries. You're going in. Two years, three years for men, they do two years for women. Yep. That's it. So. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, I think it gives people <laughs> yeah. a backbone, that it gives them structure. I think many people would be better off in the respect. world. Respect. Yeah. You learn how to respect people. Yes. Uh, you learn how to respect people's times. There's the sense of entitlement that we live in today. Mm. I don't think that exists in between military members, you know. No, I don't think so either. No. So, you know, there's so many good things that come out of being in the, in the military, especially from an early age, um, that, you know, I always thought, it's like, how come they don't, they don't do military here in the U.S.? Like, like, you must go, at least on the reserves or something, you know. Yeah. Do I, I just think of the, the average kid who doesn't really ever play sports and there's a lot of those kids that never play sports and go through the system, they, they have no idea of, of, of team camaraderie, no. of, of team being a team player. It's just all about me, me, me. And in right? the military, you have to do that. You, it's absolutely have to do it's that. It's a must. Yeah. It's 100% a team if, if sport. If you're not a team player, they single you out. Yeah, it's 100% a team player. We had this guy in our department. I was an engineer, so we had this guy in, a, in, in our department that he was not a team player and he was actually uh, a little bit of a thug you know and 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 he actually was known for stealing from 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 his peers and people like stealing stupid things man like a cd or a movie mm. or maybe a flashlight or whatnot he he had that that thing i, I forgot what it's called but what he has to be stealing all the time kleptomania kleptomania right yeah. and dude once we found out he was a kleptomaniac we singled his ass out so bad <laughs> that he had no other thing but to return everything that he had stolen. That way he would be accepted again mm. within the group. So, so all right, you moved back to the U.S. Yeah. And now, before you left Japan and you came back to the U.S., did you start, like, looking for a job, wondering what you were going to do? How, how was that? change of environment so I, I, w I moved to Thailand actually you did go yeah, to Thailand I li yeah I lived where, in Thailand where do you live in Thailand 
I was on an island called Kopangan. Okay. And it's where the like the world famous full moon party there. Right. And I had a residency at a nightclub on that island. Oh wow. Yeah, like the best nightclub on the island, and I lived behind the nightclub. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, I lived there for like Crazy. six months. You just woke yeah. up and. I, I lived in a nightclub. Yeah. Wow. For like six months, I had a house behind the night. I mean, a, a bungalow yeah. behind the nightclub. Yeah. I mean, it was nice. We had a, you know, it was a garden and a courtyard. It was. It wasn't like some dingy alley. It's you're on an island, and at once a month we threw the hottest party in the world yeah it did was you ever go back after you left thailand to japan no to, Tha to thailand many times i'm probably going to go this august okay yeah because later in life i started training muay thai and i would go back to train there okay yeah i've been back there many times wow yeah wow so we're in thailand and then we started throwing other parties so we're throwing events like you know me and D israeli djs or whatever right. we're throwing events all around the island and we had some legal problems Okay. So it, it decided it's time to go. So I went to Bali. Yep. And I thought, oh, I'll go hang out in Bali for a while. And, and at this time, my she was still my girlfriend at the time. She came and stayed with me in Thailand. She quit her job. Came. To, we were living in Thailand together. We went to Bali together. And I was just like, what am I going to do now? Like, I, you know, and I just said, look, I, I need to go back to the States. I got to go do something with my life. Where were you in Bali? Uh, I think it's Kuta, isn't Kuta. it? Kuta. Yeah. That was in, that, where everybody Bro, goes. that yeah. place is insane like if you went there today i've never seen so many tubes of cocaine on the streets in my life really yeah, yeah. um I, I the only thing i really remember about it is there was a bunch of nightclubs and there was this kid and every day he'd try to pickpocket me every day yeah. and he was so bad at it <laughs> yeah but i could see that he was training and he was gonna one day be very good right <laughs> right well so, i spent six months in in uh, in denpasar so uh, then Pasar is like the main capital of Bali or whatever, or the city of Bali. And then you got Kuta, which is an area. Mm. And you got all these other different areas. Um, but uh, yeah, I lived there for for a good six to nine months, and I got to know the whole thing. So, so I can see how Kuta can be a little bit of a party uh, environment. Were you DJing there, or I didn't. No, I didn't. You were no. just. I was there for just like. I mean, I was there for. I think I went on an open ticket. I don't really remember anymore. I mean, it's been decades, but it was about eight days or less than two weeks, and I and I decided this this fast-paced lifestyle. I gotta, I gotta get go out back of this. home. Yeah, I need to go. I, and I was like, I'm gonna go back and go to. Well, I didn't actually know that I was gonna go to school. I just knew that I'm gonna go back to the states. I need to go back and just kind of reset. I hadn't been in the states in so long that when I showed up, the, the I remember coming to immigration. The guy just looked at my passport. He's like, when? Like, how long have you been gone? And because I was in the military, it looked like I'd been gone for years. And he's just like, I said, yeah, it's been a while. He's like, welcome home. <laughs> I was wow. like, thanks. He's, so, yeah, it'd been a while. So. Wow. So as soon as you got back, what do you do? Uh, I w actually went to live with my parents. I went to my parents' house and I didn't have a job, didn't have any lined up, didn't have any, nothing. I had nothing going on. No plan. I just kind of like figuring things, decompressing, right? right? I mean, the military is, is it's intense. A lot. Yeah. yeah. So it was like this period of decompression. My dad had an old MG in a barn and it had been out there for years. And I was like, hey, if I can get that thing running, you know, can I have it? And he's like, yeah, if you can get it running, you can have it. So I went out, started messing around with that. And I fixed it off and I got it running. And uh, then let's see. I can't remember if I started working. Yeah. OK. I landed a gig with a guy, a local DJ who was doing weddings and, and things like that. So I started doing weddings for uh, bar, uh, not bar, uh, 
I was DJing at bars, like Friday night, you know, thing, and doing weddings, and it was phenomenal pay. Wow. Yeah, I would make over $1,000 on a weekend, wow. and I was only getting like 60% of it, all his equipment. So I enrolled in college, and I paid my way through college. Between the GI Bill and the money I made doing weddings, I graduated with no debt, which is why I'm 100% against paying off people's college loans. Yeah, that's like... Yeah, you signed up it. for it. If you didn't have a plan, yeah. then you know what? You want to pay it off, go to the military. Right. And let them pay it off after you complete your, your agreement Dude, service. I, I, I never used my GI Bill. Yeah, I did. Never I used did. it. And it was, yeah, it was uh, it was a great deal. I, I have no regrets about any of that. Yeah. It's a great so deal. So what do you get in college? What kind of degree? Computer science. Computer science. Programming, yeah. Wow. Yeah. You see, I didn't think you were, you were a programmer. I, I finished my degree in three years. And I graduated, and again, this goes back to just good planning. Yeah. So I looked at, the, the challenge for most people with colleges is that you need to take certain classes, but they don't always offer those classes every semester or right. whatever, you know, whatever colleges are broken up to. So there might be a class you need to graduate your junior year, but because you didn't plan correctly, it was offered the first semester, not the second or, you know. Right. So then you end up being in college for five years. Well, I, I looked at it and I, and I planned it all out, so I went at it very strategically. And because I was older, which I think was a huge help. Right. I had a, I had goal, I was very goal driven, and I had this plan, so I took summer classes, and I was doing about 18 credits a semester, and so That's I finished my, yeah, it's a lot, it's a huge workload, and I finished, and then DJing on the weekends, and I finished the entire degree in three years. And, and was, I also knew that I didn't want to be in college. Yeah. I, I, wanted, I wanted the degree and move on. So how I, many credits did they take from the military going into college? I, I, I don't th I don't recall any because I did all the physical ed classes and you know I, I played whatever like kayaking. I mean you could take fun physical ed stuff. Right. So. so you graduated college. What was next? What were you, what year is this? Like two thousand one now maybe? Yeah, two thousand one. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. So it had snowed that that spring. It had snowed somewhere between 36 and 40 inches. Where is this at? Oh, Western Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yeah, okay. I went to just a liberal arts school. It had snowed 36 to 48 inches within a like a 12 to 18 hour window. Right. And what people don't understand is when it snows like that, you don't wait for it to stop snowing to go out and deal with it. Right. Because you can't you can't There's move that. You can do, yeah. So you have to get up every two or three hours and shovel or snow blow everything, and then rest and. It, Go continues to snow yeah. and then attack it again. So by the time morning hit, I went inside and I married my girlfriend at that time, so now she's my wife. And I said, when this shit melts, we're moving to California. <laughs> I mean, those wow. are the exact words I said, we're done. So that summer I graduated college. We had a yard sale three days in, or three weekends in a row. Right. And the last day I just, people show up. I'm like, everything's free, take it all. We loaded up a U-Haul and we drove across country. The U-Haul broke down in Phoenix, right. and we hitchhike a ride to California. And I had a, a military buddy who had a two-bedroom house in Irvine, and I slept on his floor. Wow. Yeah, I was that committed to coming back here. I made a promise to myself that I'd come back, and I came back. Wow. So do you do you come back to San Diego, or? or you I was in Irvine. Irvine, yeah. Yeah, I'd never moved back to San Diego, even though I, I like it a lot. I discovered Orange County and that whole vibe, and I, I really like Orange County, so that's where I live now. Got it. So, what did what did you start doing when you were here? 
when you got well, I had a degree in computer science, right. but look at the time frame. This is 2001. Right. What happened in 2001? The dot-com crash. Yeah. The dot-com crash. In 9-11, but the dot-com crash. Mm -hmm. You couldn't get a job as a computer programmer. So now I'm in Irvine. My, I had no money. Right. right. I mean, I had saved up some in the military, but I didn't have much left. My rent was fifteen fifty a month with nothing included. That was a lot of money back then. Yeah. Well, I've stated I I was coming out here thinking, oh, I'm gonna get a nice house and you know, I'll get a, sorry, gonna get a good job. I'll make a ton of money. So I I got out of that two bedroom house and I rented a, a, an apartment at the Irvine Communities, which is like the high end landlord in Southern California, the Irvine Company, right? They own it. Donald Brent, look him up. The guy's like right. worth twenty billion dollars or some some crazy number, right? So, right. Uh, so I went to work for the Irvine. I mean, I went to live at the Irvine company's apartments and the guy that I was living with him and his partner, he was my, he, one of them was the guy that I had the house with. We were bartending in Japan. So he had stayed in Japan all those years. He moved back here to start a business with that guy, his high school buddy. And then I moved into their house with my wife and then we were out driving around on a Sunday and I, I had lined up a job on Monday morning to work for a DJ, uh, a DJ supply company selling speakers and stuff like that. They wanted to access me because of my background with MWR. They thought they could leverage me to get contracts with MWR in order to sell them gear for all their, because the MWR right. is nightclubs all over the world. That Sunday we were driving around, I was supposed to work Monday morning and I'd never worked in sales. And the guy that owned the company, it was a window company. And the three of us were hanging around and he's like, you ever thought about doing sales? And I, and I was like, no, I never had a sales job. He's like, you want to come work for me and sell windows? And it, and it hit me and I was just like, you know, I've been in this music industry for all these years and I never really made any money. It's time to do something different. So I said, yeah, you know what? I'll come work for you. I'll give it a shot. So I, 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 I called the, the music company on Monday morning. I said, hey, look, sorry, I'm not coming in. I appreciate the opportunity, but I, I got something else. And I went into the window business. Did you do well? The first year I made 40 grand. Okay. Second year I made 100. The third year I was probably about 220. And then I think I quit after the fourth or fifth year. Okay. So yeah, I, I did pretty good. And why did you quit? Uh, I... I had read while I was unemployed and living in an Irvine apartment community, I was watching, uh, there was a TV there. I didn't buy it, but there was a TV there. Cause I told you earlier, you, I've, ne you take I've, pride I've never bought, never a, bought TV a TV in my life. There was a TV on the floor. I don't remember where I got it from. It was a TV and Oprah was on and she had Robert Kiyosaki on. Right. And I trusted Oprah. I thought, and, but not that I was an Oprah fan or anything. It was just on. And, and I said, she's got a lot of credibility. Yeah. There's no way she's going to get a guy on her show. That's fake. That Yeah. So I, so I was like, I'm going to go get his book. So I walked down to the bookstore, Barnes and Nobles, and I bought the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Wow. And, and I was just like, I, I, after I finished the book, I told my wife, well, our lease was up. Our lease was up. And I went and looked at apartments. And like all dumbass tenants, we had like two dog or a dog and a couple cats. It was like, you know, you're trying to find an apartment with all these animals. No, it's impossible. So we en went to this place. It was along the 405 freeway. And uh, the, uh, you could hear the freeway noise. Boom, 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 boom. And, and I'm like, I walk over and I shut the door. And the leasing agent just like, imagine it as a waterfall. I was like, that's like the exact opposite of a waterfall. Right? I mean, it's like jaybreaks from trucks and smog. I'm like, I went home. I was so irate. I went home and told my wife, we're buying a house. I had no job. I'm like, we're buying a house. 
And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, we're going to figure out we're buying a house. we got to buy a house. And it was the perfect time because it was like 2002 or 2003. Right. Right. And the Irvine, well, Orange County, California real estate was going through the roof. Not only that, if you breathe, they'll give you a loan. Yeah. I didn't have a job right. and I got a loan. I borrowed 10 grand from my mother-in-law and 10 grand from my grandmother and I bought a house in Irvine. So. So that was your introduction to real estate. And that was, and I still own that house today. You and when I bought, after I bought it, they sent a, a, a notice to everybody in the neighborhood, highest price ever paid <laughs> with my address on it. Wow. <laughs> and I will walk outside like this, oh, what did I do? But it was years later, I got a postcard, highest price ever paid, somebody else's address on it. So I, I stuck it out long enough that I was able to not be that guy anymore. So, wow. Yeah. So now, when is it that you start becoming a real estate investor. You say, you know what? Well, I was a 1099 sales guy. Okay. And what's the problem with that? There's no write-offs. No write-offs. Yeah. No write-offs, right? So you're paying estimated quarterly taxes and you're making a couple hundred grand a year. Those are big. Your yeah. estimated quarterly taxes are like 25 grand a quarter. Right. So I was sitting in my CPA's office and, I, and I'm just like, this is killing me. I work my ass off to get this money and I got to give it all away. He's like, dude, you don't have any write-offs. I'm like, well, what, what can I get? I mean, I'm an estimator for a construction company. I use a ruler and a pencil and rulers don't wear out. Am I supposed to go to Costco and buy a pallet of pencils? Like, what, what do I, he's like, well, you know, you can lease a car. I'm like, that's not gonna help. He's like, you could get some office space. I was like, that's just throwing away money. And he's like, yeah, he's like not. So I was like, I think I just asked the right question. What do other people who have this problem do? And so he had a lot of his clients were athletes, basketball players and things like that. And he thought for a minute, he's like, yeah, I guess they get into real estate. I said, great, I'm gonna go buy some real estate. So I went to the grocery store and they had the, the magazines, you know, home, whatever the home. Yeah. And, I, and I opened it up and I look, I'm just like, I'll buy that one. So I call up the agent. I'm like, yeah, I want to buy this house. And she's like, well, all right. So I, I bought it, got a bank, could just called, got a bank loan, bought the house, you know, six months later. Yeah, I'm going to buy that one. So, I, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. And then during this time, I was like, you know what? I'll say like all you hear this story so many times. I'm going to save money. I'll be a real estate agent and represent myself, right? It's completely dumb, right? So I, I got my broker's license and uh, I kept doing that for a while. I started building houses. I got more into it. And while then, you had a job or? Yeah, I was still selling windows yeah. this time, right? And, and at some point I realized I was having more fun and making more money out there than I was sitting in my office all day long. I would go to the office and on Fridays I found out about this, this landlord luncheon and it was, uh, sorry, it was a landlord breakfast every Friday. And it was one exit away from where my office was across from the Staples Center in, Irvine, in, uh, in uh, Anaheim. So I would pretend I had a meeting to go to and I'd go up and sit. And it was all these old landlords. Like, they're all old people, right? And I was just like, man, these people have it dialed in, man. One guy had like 25 houses in Anaheim. I mean, these guys were making crazy money. And here they are on a Friday morning, hanging around, eating breakfast till noon, they'd sit there. Right. Like four hours, I'm like, I want to do this. You guys don't, do, don't uh, yeah. work. I, I want to do what these people do. And so from the beginning, I knew I wanted to be a landlord. I, that, I, I wanted to get into asset management and just property management, not managing other people's stuff, but managing Your my own assets. I, I knew early on, I didn't want to flip. I didn't want to wholesale. I mean, I did all those things because along the way, you got to eat, you got to pay bills. Sometimes there's an opportunity to make a big check. So, but that I, I knew going in early, this is where it's at. And I'll tell you today, I'm part of a, a, it's, a, it's not a money, you know, like a paid match money. It's just a private group of guys that yeah. get together. There's only about 10 people who go every month. It's a lunch. There's been lots of people who've cycled through there 
The only people who show up every month, landlords. They're the only ones. All the people, the, the flippers, they come and go out of business. Things happen. They try to get in other businesses. They lose all their money because they're unfocused. Like, oh, I did so good at this, I'm going to go do that. And they try to transition. And what, Every month, the guys who are landlords, they show up. Those are the guys sticking up. And, and they're, they're not looking at their watches. They just, I mean, that lunch goes to three, just hanging around, talking about all the crazy stuff they make. It's crazy. It's like landlords where it's at. Now, did you ever get formal education on real estate? Seminars. So formal by like finance or anything like that? No, no, no. Like formal, like you hired a mentor or you hired uh, somebody. That through the years. To, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Through the years. Yeah. Somebody that I've been at a bunch of different masterminds. Right. So, yeah, right. of course. But not, not as many real estate ones as marketing. I, I really got into marketing more. Okay. So I like early on I was with, I don't know if you ever heard Richard Roop. No, Richard Roop. Yeah, marketing mastery yeah, for real Richard estate. Roop. I jumped in on that, man. I mean, he was the, the king of the postcards back in the day. So. Yes, he was. Yeah, so I was in that. It was like $1,000 a month. And that was wow. a long time ago. And, I mean, there's still events now that are $1,000 a wow. month. So I felt like I was paying too much back then. But. Wow. So, you know, I just I was just hanging out with him not long ago. Yeah, I like Richard. Uh, uh, he, um, I, I learned a lot from that dude about marketing. Yeah, he, he definitely knows a lot about marketing. Yeah. Uh, especially how to write yellow letters, postcards, postcards. Yeah, it was all. I I really focused on postcards. Yeah, he I went through it. some downfalls. Uh, it happens. Yeah, hopefully I'll have him in, in the podcast soon because I really want him to get that story out there. Um, uh, you know, he was heavily invested. In I, I heard the whole story. Yeah. yeah, unfortunate. It felt like he was. I mean, people get targets on their back, and yep. the IRS goes after him. It, it it is what it is. Can you pivot and and get out of it? He's doing that right now. Yeah, so, so I, I mean, I, I like the guy, and I learned a ton from him. I have nothing but respect for that guy. Awesome, man. I learned tons uh, of stuff Shout out to Richard Root. Richard Root, man. Uh, I learned a lot. Rupodia. I still got, uh, his, still got his marketing mastery, you know, uh, three-ring binder. <laughs> and I, I guarantee you, some of that stuff works today. Absolutely. Yeah, some of that absolutely. stuff works today. Yeah. So, um, all right. So, when did you start systemizing your acquisitions for your rentals? So it's actually from, from my rentals? Yeah. Uh, that's just been an ongoing process. It, it never ends. So I was showing, uh, we're here at a Don Costa event, and I was showing Don earlier. I said, look at the, the leads coming in from my rental properties. It's all automated. I, I never talk to my tenants, ever. Right? I don't, I don't pre-screen them. I don't talk to them on the phone. I don't interview them, nothing. It's all automated. Okay. So I showed him, look at my phone. The leads are just coming in. And, and it kind of explained quickly how I did that. And he's like, that's so crazy. But while I was at uh, uh, Cuthbert's office, the, the girl behind the counter was showing me this, this app they have which can unlock doors for their Airbnbs. Mm. So I was like, oh, I gotta do that now. Yeah. So I, I'll buy one of those, have my contractor install it in the house while it's vacant, and then when they go to, sh I let the tenants show the house themselves. So when they go to the house to show it to themselves, I can just say, hey, text me when you're there, I'll unlock the door. But I can have a VA do that, right? Yeah. So I'll just outsource that to my VA. And she can unlock the door, let him in, hey, call when you're out, and then we'll lock the door and turn the alarm on. Then we know they're not still in the house, right? How many VAs do you have in your operation? Now I, I completely gutted my business. I'm down one of VA. Okay, let's talk about that. Why did you gut your business? Uh, so I, I was living out in the Inland Empire, and I had, uh, at the time, a five-year-old daughter. 
and I really wanted to get her into a good school system, but I wasn't going to put her in private school. I didn't see there was any advantage to putting a, a person in kindergarten private school. Right. So, and I had her in a private, a private uh, preschool, which was great. Yep. Um, and I got out of that what I wanted, but I felt like I went through public school, public education, nothing wrong with that. But I looked at the public schools in the Inland Empire, and I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like she was going to get what I wanted her to get out of that experience. Right. So I have a uh, like a, a weekend house down in Huntington, and we looked at the schools over there. I felt like they were much better schools. Right. So we moved into that house full time, and I put her in school. And in that process, I had some issues at my office, so I just decided to get rid of everybody, close the doors, get rid of the lease, and then I was going to reopen in Orange County. And I'm just—that's the beauty about being a landlord—is that whether you work or not, the, the income comes in. Right. So it's taken me a little bit longer, but I'm not stressing out about it. Got it. Now, how long have you officially been a landlord now? Since the, f the first property I bought is a rental property that I still own. And then the second property I bought, I still own that also. And the third one, probably the first five that I bought, I still have. So it's been 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Okay, and how many properties have you bought and sold? I never counted, but hundreds. Never counted. You never counted them? No. Never I, never, I, a it, it, I, I hear people talk about, I, I bought and sold 827, I don't know. It, it was just a metric that I felt was. Yeah, um, like I quit taking pictures a long time yeah, ago. It, it uh, was like. On my rehabs, because yeah. they all look the same. I don't know. I don't know how many I've wholesaled. I don't know how I flipped. I don't know. Didn't yeah. matter. I don't know. I know that I've done more than a thousand transactions. Uh, including the flips. The flips is, it was probably around 500. Uh, now wholesale is more because of yeah, course. Nationwide. You know, and yeah. You have a and, lot more opportunities. And more opportunities. And, yeah. and I've always had a small shop, not done it, but it's because it's always been just me and my wife. Right. So we never had any reason to go crazy. Like we would go on, like I could just close the doors and go on vacation for three months if I wanted to. Yeah. But which like I've done many times. You built it slower, but it was more consistent and more solid. Yeah, it was it was very much the turtle approach, but now I show up an event and people are like, "Oh, hey man, I'm so glad you're here." I don't feel like I've done anything amazing. I just kept I kept keeping houses along the way. Right. So I, I get in a room with a guy who wholesales 50 houses a year, 100 houses a year, and he wants to spend time talking to me. It's like I just kept a couple of those, whereas you just kept getting rid of them and paying. That's earned income. Yeah. That's that's a bad tax plan. Yeah. It's highly taxable earned income. Oh, yeah. It's, it's at the highest. It's taxable yeah. at the highest and, level. And I just refinanced. An example, I just did one refinance recently, and I pulled out a little over $700,000. And in the process of that refi, my payments went down because I locked in great financing. And I put seven hundred grand in my pocket, which was tax-free. So, I, I mean, do you need to work the rest of the year? I, now, I mean, I, I, and I still have rental income coming in. So, I, so I, I just... It's been very strategic what I've done, and it's not been about having the biggest company and being, you know, it's just about enjoying my time. Because to me, time is the most valuable thing. Yes. Not, not the amount of money in my bank account. No, no, no. It's time. Time is the most and important. And the older I get, the more I value my time because it goes by much faster. And it's just perception. Time goes by at a set rate. Yeah, think about but the it. the perception you, is. You probably have maybe another 30 to 40 years to live. Maybe. That's less than what you've lived already. Correct. So when we think about that, now we appreciate time a lot more. I appreciate it a lot it. more when I, 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 
I'm not going to say I died, but I had a near-death experience. Right. Surfing, drowned in the water. Wow. Revived on the beach. Yeah. Wow. Full on. How long ago? Was dead. Maybe two years ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, about two years that ago. That was after we met. Yeah. Okay. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, it was paralyzed from the neck down, floating face down in the water. Awake. I could not move. And I just, what was it? I drowned. And what happened? Uh, a wave hit you or, or the, uh, the board? I was surfing, so you have what's called the shore break. Right. So the shore break is when the waves are crashing on the beach. So me and a couple friends were surfing the shore break. And one of them went, he's like, hey, I'm going to go to the outside, which is the break. In Huntington, there's two breaks. You have the waves on the outside, and then you have the shore break. Always it's like that. One of the guys said, hey, I'm going to go out there. And, I, and I, my intuition said I should go with him. And I didn't listen to my intuition. I stayed, and I caught a wave, and it's, the, the lingo is going over the falls. I didn't drop down into it, and my board went over, and I went head first, which is, they call scorpion. I went head first into the sand, and your back comes up like that, which is a great way to snap your neck. Right. So I had, like, my face was just all oh, wow. sand rat, like just road burn, you know, from the sand on my face. And I came to, and I was face down in the water, but I was awake. And I knew I was paralyzed from the neck down. Wow. And I was like, okay, that's a problem, but that's not the problem I have to deal with right now. The problem I have to deal with now is how do I breathe? And, it, and it, I couldn't move. But a wave hit me and rolled me over. Wow. And now I can breathe. It's a crazy oh, story, right? I'm glad you're yeah. here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. And so does your family, right? <laughs> so now let's talk about landlording real quick. Uh, strategic uh, asset protection, right? What are your, I would say, and I don't want to get into how many houses you got or any of that stuff because that's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Um, I, I want to I wanna get more into if I'm a brand new landlord starting in this business, right? Mm-hmm. How do I protect those assets that are so hard to work for? Because the first few are the ones that are harder to get. Yeah. Because you start getting knowledge on how to pull money from here to there, private money and all of this and all that. And then you start going faster. But if you start, if you were to, if Aaron were to start today from scratch with the knowledge that you have today, how will you protect your assets moving forward? Great insurance, number one. Okay. Great insurance. Get lots of insurance. Right. Uh, Liability insurance. Yeah, umbrella policy yeah. as well. Treat your tenants with respect. Right. This is their home. Yes. Right? So it's not their responsibility to fix your broken stuff. Right. So I have a full-time maintenance guy, and we respond to repair issues within 24 hours. Okay. And we fix them, regardless of what the cost. Uh, generally, regardless of how it happened, we take care of it, and then we sort out, well, you know, that was an issue that you caused or whatever, we'll sort that out after, but we get it fi fixed right. right away. Okay. So you have to treat, especially in this state, which is so pro-tenant and anti-landlord, we really make sure, I tell the tenants at, at the lease up, you know, part of the process is like, hey, welcome to your new home. It's our house, but it's your home. So if there's any issues, let us know. And we all via text. We don't take phone calls because we want it in writing. Right. Right. We want it in writing. And there's there's systems you can get like um, I, don't, I don't use any of them because we built it all in house. But there's I think maybe App Foley or something. There's one of them where the tenants can message in through the website portal, and then you'll have records of it. But you can use also a Google Doc. Right. Right. And just log it and have text messages. So uh, you know, I have a separate phone that my former assistant would have that phone, and she dealt with all of that. So she would just log into a Google Doc, the repairs, 
the, the issue, who called about it, who she sent to fix it, uh, all that. You know, the date it was repaired, the date it was logged in. Right. So just keep good documentation because you want records of all that. Because mm -hmm. that's one of the biggest tenant complaints is, oh, you don't take care of the repairs. You say, well, look, here's, you've texted him in. We don't take phone calls, so we have a record of your complaints about issues. And if you didn't complain, you can't use that as an argument in court. Right. right? So you have good records, but treat your tenants with respect. And follow, like, everybody's like, oh, California's so anti-landlord, it's so hard. I've never had a problem getting people out. I've never gone to court and lost. It takes longer, like two to three months, but that's, that's the cost of doing business here. I mean, I, I live in a beautiful place. Right. So I don't mind that because I know it's the process involved in doing this business. Right? It's, that's the challenge we, we deal with. But if you make sure you have good documents, everything's documented, you keep good records, and you follow the procedure, it's a really easy process. It just takes time. Mm. And I've had tenants fight me and fight me, but at the end of the day, when you get to your day in court, if everything you do is correct and it's documented, they're out. I've not had a tenant beat me in court. Some of them even get out out of being ashamed. You know, They don't wanna to go to court and face the judge and, and tell the judge why they haven't paid rent in X amount of months or whatnot. Yeah, right? they'll file the answer and then it'll cost you more money, but then they don't show up. And then you just, you know, you show up, they don't, they're not there, you get a default judgment and they're gone. Right, so. so, all right, now what about from a legality standpoint? Like, do you put properties on LLC? Do you put properties on trust? What's your preference? So I've been doing a lot of commercial refinancing and they want them into corporations. Okay. So I, I either put them into LLC, C-Corp. I had a lot of stuff in trust, but I had to move it out. And that's part of the process when you do these refis is you want to ask, hey, I have it in trust. I'll move it into the C-Corp. But when it's in, can I move it back after the refinance? There was a time when the title companies would do what's called a, an accommodation recording, which means they would draw up that that grant deed and they would do it for yep. you. They don't do it anymore because it's expensive now here in California. Okay. So you want to make sure that happens. Uh, otherwise you end up with like Hegstat petitions, things like that. If you pass away, it's like, well, it's in the C Corp now and you meant to have it in the trust and it's no longer in the trust because you want to avoid probate. But you could probably do that with a corp as long as you have your, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of you know, corporate ownership, but. Yeah, mo you know. most, most properties, uh, most landlords that I know, not in California, in other states, they're all trusts. Yeah. Uh, and for many different well, reasons. Well, it's this false sense of like, oh, it's asset protection. And it, you go to court and the judge says, lay it all out. You're going to lay it. I mean, if they subpoena your records, they're going to look. And, I mean, they're on your taxes. They're all tied to your EIN or your, or your social security number. 100%. At the end of the day, if they want to find your assets, they're going to find your assets. Right. What people believe is that, oh, well, if they do an asset, if some attorney does an asset search, and they only see one property, well, you know, how many different post office mailing boxes you have? How hard is it to go online? Uh, like say you have one of these data providers, how hard is it to go online and look how many uh, properties are associated with this mailing address? Just go on Prostream. It takes seconds, you seconds, yeah. Uh, you know, the funny thing is uh, I went and did a search on me at, uh, one day and it still got showing properties that I don't own anymore. But they're still in there. Yeah. So any attorney can look that up. I mean, they're not oh, dumb. They're attorneys. You've got right? all these houses. Yeah. Right? They're like, oh, let's, let's go after that guy. No retainer necessary. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's right. Yeah. So, um, no, and the reason I ask you this question, I, I just had a podcast with Lou Brown. I don't know if you know Lou. I've heard uh, the name, but I don't, I've not met him. So. He's, he's, uh, 
huge, huge landlord. Nice. Uh, owner finance guy as well. All right. Um, uh, so he must live in another state. He lives in Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, he puts everything on trust and, and I love doing the trust. It's cheaper also yeah. to do it on trust because it only, it only costs the recording at the courthouse at the county. Number one, I don't have to set up a new LLC. Every time you do a new LLC is, you know, X amount of hundreds or thousands of dollars, depending on what your attorney is charging, or if you're doing it by yourself from the county or whatnot. Uh, I know how to set up LLCs for a hundred bucks you know, mm -hmm. myself, right? Um, so I save that cost from hiring somebody to do it for me. But in reality, when you start having 30, 40, 50, 60 properties, and now you got all these different LLCs, man, the upkeep for that is, is, is it's a pain. Because you got to pay franchise taxes on all of them. Mm -hmm. You got to keep making yeah. sure they're You need they're, bank they're accounts current. and records. Yeah. You need bank accounts for each yeah. one of them. It's and a mess. Yeah, it becomes a mess. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to a trust, it's, yeah, you can still have bank accounts for each trust, but the cost of maintaining the trust is no, the LLC is no longer there with the trust. This is all, it's, it's newbie fear about this. Oh, I'm going to get sued. I'm gonna yeah. I know guys today who have hundreds of rentals on their name, in their name, in their name, in their personal yep. name. Yep. Right. And, and I, they rent it to the lowest income category of people. And look, no I issues. had this landlord. No I used to be, I used to lease a building from him where my office used to op operate out of. And one day I go on the, on the county records and I type the address because I, I was, I wanted to find the, the, the correct size of the building because I was, I want to make an offer to buy the building. Mm. So I looked at that and I put, I looked at the name and I'm like, hmm, this guy owns this building in his name. <laughs> his name, yeah. And I knew he owned a lot of commercial property. So I went back to the county records and I'm not going to mention the name, guys. I put the name on it and <laughs> I mean, a whole page of properties just showed up. Yeah. I mean, this is hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate in his name. A lot of people do it. They, have, I, they probably have great insurance. So he took me to lunch one day. He kind of like took me and Dennis, um, my old business partner, under his wing for a little bit. And he was teaching us things about commercial real estate and all that, which is something we were always wondering about. We just didn't know uh, how to approach it, right? So we go have lunch with him at a, at a great Lebanese restaurant that I still go today. Like That became my favorite place in Houston to go eat uh, Lebanese food. And I asked him, I said, Mr. So-and-so, um, man, I don't know if you mind me asking you this question, but why do you put all your properties on your name? And his answer was, why not? And I said, well, you become a target, you know, for predators and for this and for that and lawsuits. He said, I have so much money <laughs> that they don't have enough money to fight me. <laughs> And I said, fair enough. <laughs> that, that was a great answer. Yeah. Uh, and, and he said, you know what? And nobody's ever sued me. Uh, this guy is probably in his 80s now. Run a clean business. If you're going to do it legit, do it 100% legit. And he took Don't care of be us. shady. No, he took care of us, yeah. man. Like, like, he made it a point. He would show up in our office maybe once a month and come upstairs, because my office used to be on the second floor. We'll come up to the second floor and just talk shop. Nice. I said, guys, why do you keep messing around with houses? And I said, because that's what we know how to do. Like, you know, we don't know any different. I said, guys, you need to start learning commercial real estate. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's okay. The houses took you to where you are today, which is fantastic. But this is how you do commercial. And he will get on the whiteboard and start putting all these things. 
how to increase rents, how to increase the NOI, how to refinance with the banks. Now, he owns everything free and clear now. He has no loan. That happens. Yeah. So, <laughs> Stick uh, around long enough. That happens. <laughs> and he had buildings that were vacant. Wow. But he will tell me, I'm, uh, you know, the tenants that have been applying for these buildings, I don't trust them. I, I vet every single one of them personally. Mm. Like he has a different approach than you do. You, you go through text messaging systems and things of that nature. Yeah. No, for him to put somebody on the building, he, he has to like them. Well, I have a philosophy about my rental properties is the best way to get bad tenants out is to never let them in. Right. So I make them jump through lots of hoops. A lot of people don't want to deal with an automated response and fill out a form. I've not seen the house. And, and, and then they say, hey, can I see the house? No, you can't see it until I know you're qualified. I don't want to waste your time, yeah. which is really I don't want to waste my time. Right. Right. And so and it says that in the autoresponder. We don't want to waste your time. We want to make sure you're qualified first. The people who don't want to do it, well, they're not, they're not good fits for my program. So we don't let them in the house. I want somebody who's going to play my game. Right. So you were offline. You were talking about taking a little break. Yeah. So how long, how long have you been on break for now? It's been a minute. It's been a minute. A long minute. A long yeah. minute. Yeah. I mean, I still have things going on. So it's not like I'm not doing yeah, anything. Yeah, but you're not actively pursuing things like well i, I, I have five, i have, five, I have one sure. va who's doing some work but no not not yeah but you're not yeah. in acquisition mode right now no so we're, oh, i gotta go buy, buy i mean buy, if buy. a wholesaler walked in and said hey i got a great deal i'd probably buy it of course you look yeah, at but it. i'm not out hunting for wholesale yeah it's coming yeah. to you right yeah. it's not it's yeah, not if somebody said hey i mean i get text messages every day either on instagram or facebook market uh facebook messenger or just text but a lot of them are not deals that I would be interested in. Got it. They're just, the numbers are too tight. Just uh, even as a cash buyer, they, they don't make any sense. I don't see how they pencil out, but people are buying them apparently. So, so what's next for you now? So I pulled a, it's funny that we're talking about people own their own, their own stuff in their name. I recently pulled a list of apartment buildings up to 5 million, right? Cause I also want to get into more of that commercial world, even though it's still residential, right. but it's commercially, right? It's a commercial asset because it's so easy to get money at that level. Like if I want to go buy a single family house, it's not easy to get financing and I don't want to pay no, cash, it's harder. Be, right? But I can do two, three, $4 million. And it, I mean, I, the last loan I did was 2.2 million. They didn't ask for any tax returns. I had to show them the leases. The, so the, they wanted to see the lease agreements, the insurance and the mortgage statements. And then they wanted to see that I had enough for six months worth of debt service coverage right. in the bank account, which is a joke. Right. And and, that, and next thing you know, they wired me two. You know, paid off. They paid off like one point seven million something. I got a two point four million dollar loan. It was that easy. So I pulled a list of apartment buildings up to five million. Got it. And on that list, I couldn't believe how many were just in their name, not you know, you know, apartment thirty two LLC. It's like. John Johns right. and his home address. You're like, yeah, so many were on the list like wow. that. So, and you know, those are great. Those are great people to target. So that's what you want to do now. Go after those commercial buildings. I'm apartments. still looking around, like trying to, I, I'm, I'm weeding, I'm, I'm weeding through the weeds. Right. So I, I have a lot of friends that are looking at uh, self storage. I don't know that I am that interested in self storage. I like those because there's no toilets. It just seems like dealing with all that turnover is kind of a pain in the ass. Man, the turnover is like a two-year turnover. Let me tell you why. I just gave up a storage unit, and I was in it for two and a half years. But the storage also seems more of 
like you have to be a good internet marketer to have a, a successful self storage. No, what, what what it is is the self, the the storage needs to be located in the correct place for it to fill up. That's it. Mm. Like the the place I was having, I had my storage at. Uh, it was sold out. So when they when I moved out, the guy was happy because he was like, "Oh, sh I get to raise rents higher now." Who, who's the self storage guy that you know is on the circuit that you're aware of? Anybody? Oh, there's quite a few. Yeah. Oh, there's quite a few out there. And there's actually a mastermind on storages. I'm sh there's a mastermind in everything. Yeah, so, right, so they, they that's why I'm like name drop somebody. I, maybe I I'll look into it. I don't have the name that's right okay. the top, but I know one guy, Luke Wong, out of Houston. Okay. He was a wholesaler before. He sold his wholesaling business. He sold his brokerage. And I, well, I'm not sure if he sold the brokerage, but I know he's not doing that. And he got into self storage, and mm -hmm. that's all he does now. No, I like mobile home parks, and I owned one before. Okay. So well, the Chris Root is teaching that. Um, mobile well, I, home I went to, you know, you know the the guys like mobile home university the and back I'm, in the days guys yeah, well they've been around forever right. and they're probably as far as teachers goes they're definitely the highest level on the circuit wow. so frank and dave are they're the top right and i've been to their boot camp i just went recently again in dallas i was out there in like january or something. okay so i like that asset yeah you know but i also i like i like apartment buildings i don't have a problem with apartments i don't mind tenants i like dealing with that and i know it really well and i'm right. good at it yeah, and, 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 and if you stick with what you know, you, you and, tend to have better success. And apartment buildings, uh, if they're big enough, they're self-sustainable. You know, they, mm. they, you can put your own apartment manager there, your own handyman, your own crew. Like, it, they survive from themselves and they still cash flow. You raise rents and the value, mm. you know, goes up. Uh, it's a whole different animal than single family, right? Brother, thank you so much for uh, telling us Good about your you journey, man. Yeah. I, uh, I enjoy I didn't know that that you were in the Navy like I was. And yeah. maybe that's why we connected from the get-go when, when we first met. Uh, we recognized shipmates uh, <laughs> from miles away, right? So anyhow, guys, attendgrowth.com, June 24, 25, 26, Houston, Texas. Bunch of rock stars are going to be there from our space. Even our friend Don Costa, he just told me today that, I'm, that he's going to be attending. I'm going to extend an invitation to my friend Aaron to see if he wants to show when up. When is it? June? June 24, 25, 26. It's a three-day event. My daughter graduates kindergarten on the 24th. Oh, yeah. That, so bro. we know he's not coming. So <laughs> can't miss that. Sorry. But anyhow, yeah, and I would not blame you, dude. Like, like That's not an event that you want that's to miss. That's a one-time deal. That's a one-time deal. My, my son is May 24th. Yeah. So I'm definitely nice. going to be in Houston for that. So anyhow, guys, I'm looking forward to seeing you there. I'll see you on the next one. Bye.